Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Projected Opinions Podcast, the best movie podcast in under the time it takes to commute to work. Uh, all right, so we are going to be reviewing Sicario, uh, the first film, uh, in in preparation for the second, uh, the, the sequel that's coming out this weekend. Uh, we're really excited about that sequel, and we wanted to kind of throw back to the original why we think it's such a great film, uh, why we're excited about the second one, and kind of uh, walk through audiences who maybe have or have not seen Sicario 1 uh, as to why they should go see it, as to how they should think about the film maybe uh, in a different light. So let's just jump right in, Nathan, uh, talk about intro Sicario to audiences who haven't seen it. Spoiler free if you can. Yeah, so Cliff Notes. Film came out in 2017, directed by uh, Denis Villeneuve, Canadian director, um, at that point had done Prisoners with uh, Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal, and this was his kind of second major Hollywood piece, and it's a it's a picture that's kind of a neo-Western, if you will. It's, it's fitting into this rather new genre of modern-day Westerns, if you will, um, written by a man named Taylor Sheridan takes place on the Texas-Mexico border near uh, El Paso Juarez, and it's got a main character played by Emily Blunt, who's in the FBI, and comes across, in the first few minutes, a startling revelation that leads her kind of into this deeper um, conflict. Um, She gets drawn in with some CIA and some other political things, um, and she kind of goes down the rabbit hole, if you will. And so it's a suspense thriller a um, little bit of language, a little bit of violence. Um, a lot of by that, I'm, yeah. It's as far as screen time, it's not a lot of violence, but when it is there, it is very intense and it is very real. So it's not for the faint of heart or people that can kind of freak out because of things like that. So this this movie kind of does keep you on the edge of your seat. And it's it's very very good if that's your cup of tea. So um, you have maybe right off the bat first impressions or things that you can get out of the way that are still spoiler free before we kind of break it down. Yeah, and it's been a few years. This came out uh, three years ago, so it's not like uh, we haven't had a chance to to run out and see it. Uh, Sicario was nominated for best picture and for best cinematography. Um, is there another uh, award that it was nominated for? I don't recall. Uh, was it nominated for writing? I don't remember. No, uh, three Oscars: so cinematography, uh, music, and editing. Apparently, I thought it was also up for best picture. My mistake. Uh, I'll come back to editing and music, but I can definitely understand why. Yeah, it was nominated. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so this film was critically well received but just wasn't a big box office hit. So I'm, I'm surprised and also excited that the second one is was greenlit and has been created by, at least written by the same mind and produced by the same group of people. So in, in, introduction to this world of drug trafficking along the, the U.S.-Mexico border, if you're not familiar, there is a lot of tension and it's kind of been in the news recently with regards to uh, immigration, but um, the drug trafficking and the drug trade is kind of a different animal. It's it's very brutal, very uh, intense, and once you're in, it's almost impossible to get out. So this film really talks about how the U.S. has treated the um, war on drugs truly as a war, 
Uh, and so the, the stakes are uh, perceivably high, and this character, Emily Blunt, who is a new addition to this task force, um, really ends up feeling pretty in over her head, just as audiences, I would argue, feel uh, as we kind of walk through the development of the story with her for the first time. We really do feel like there is a lot happening and it's just getting darker and darker and darker. And so we should discuss a little bit about how the, the writer-director um, team used suspense. Um, and we should talk a little bit about cinematography in this film since it was uh, done by Roger Deakins, whom I'm sure you've heard us uh, mention a few times on the podcast as uh, Nathan has a huge man crush. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, we should also just talk a little bit about how um, story, how the story is woven together uh, by, uh, by Taylor Sheridan, who is also known for Hello or High Water. Got um, nominated out of the blue for Best Picture in it, 2017. It did, a big surprise. Uh, and then also Wind River, which was... Substantially in, less buzz, but was still a very, very good movie. It was a tightly written movie, yeah. So let's, let's jump in. Um, spoilers from here on out. We highly recommend Sicario. Uh, and then um, if you like that, we're sure that Sicario 2, the buzz is good. So it will follow up well. So uh, go see Sicario if your thing is dark brooding, thriller, suspense, action flicks. Yep. Is that fair? Okay. That's fair. Spoilers. Go ahead, Nathan. Jump into how we see suspense throughout the film. I think there's a couple main points, and the first one you kind of already touched on it, but the story is from a character's perspective for the most part. You are introduced to this story through Emily Blunt's character. Um, out of nowhere, you basically follow her into a seemingly normal operation for her group of people, and in the space of five minutes, it goes from okay to meh to bad to worse, to really, 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 really bad. And then you just kind of get dropped off. And, you know, she and her partner are kind of left hanging by the events that they couldn't even comprehend. And it it takes maybe like 10 minutes into the movie, you're just like, okay, well, we've, we've hit so many different levels of emotions already. And you can see that in the character and you kind of feel for her because you don't know anything more than she does. And the ride just intensifies from there. And Matt and I have used the term slow burn for this movie. Normally, though that's a negative connotation, but for this movie, it does what I would, I would call the correct version of a slow burn. It really does burn. Like the it, story is continuing. There is hurts. no stopping it. Yep. Yes. And it, it's not kind of like the thriller suspense where like your heart is bumping in your chest and you kind of feel active. It's the kind of suspense where you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, this is about to get worse. And there, it's about to get worse in a way that I don't even know yet. It's going to be worse than what I think it could be. And in that sense, the writing and the directing team here between Denis and Taylor is one of the best that I have ever seen as far as how well they managed to achieve this goal. Um, and you just get drawn in. And it's every time I watch this movie, I get more amazed by how well they accomplish their goal. 
Um, so let's let's actually use specifics. I think we're we're really kind of talking abstractly. This is spoilers, so you've been warned. Uh, let's let's talk about the uh, first scene. All right, in, in, ex, in explicit like detail. So the way that they get you into this movie is they start and. Shout out to the cinematography for not being really flashy. This movie is very straightforward. It shows you a lot, but it doesn't show you everything. It's very smooth and calculated. And it communicates stress by instead of cutting quickly and having jarring movements like is the norm in Hollywood these days, by being a little bit more Fincher-esque, where the, the camera kind of seems to float through some of the scenes and just be present and observing. Very and it, omniscient. It is, and it kind of heightens the tension because you're wondering, like, how how can the world be so smooth from this perspective when you clearly know and you can read through the characters that everything is falling apart? Mm-hmm. And so you open on this FBI team of, like, something like 30 people that are all coming in from different directions and converging on a house. Um, and I believe we're told it's in like New Mexico or Nevada or something like that. Yeah, it's Nevada somewhere in, in the American um, desert. And it's in a neighborhood. There's sand everywhere. And these agents all dressed in black are entering this house. And they come across a few uh, assailants in the house. They kill a few people. And um, there's a near miss with the main character. She almost gets killed, and then the truck, the FBI truck, crashes through the front of the house and kind of saves her. I believe I believe it hits the, the man that was trying to kill her, um, and he misses her head and shoots a hole in the wall. Um, and everybody's, like, freaked out, and they're like, okay, but we're all cool. Everybody yeah. so made it. So that's a decompression point right. here at this point. So we've been ramping up, 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 mm-hmm. up, 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 decompression. And I'd like to go back and point something out that it was nominated for sound editing specifically. And that's something that comes in handy a lot because a lot of the tension is not from jarring camera moves. It's from the noises that you hear. They use those very well to ramp up tension. In this scene in particular, the ramping up has been the noises of the car. And like the moment it crashes into the wall, you start losing all of the sound design that they've used. And so now it's just the people and so you can kind of follow the sound through those moments. And you're kind of like, okay, so everybody survived. Cool. They've got the house. They've cleared it. All the, the bad guys are arrested or, or killed, and we're good. Um, and then slowly your attention is directed towards this hole in the wall that's been shot. And it's revealed that there is, in fact, a body that's been kind of vacuum sealed into a plastic bag that's been put in the wall Between in place of insulation. Yeah. Um, and it's been dead for quite some time. It's not new. And they start pulling off the sheetrock and they reveal the whole body like the entire thing is in there standing up and it's just staring out from the wall. Um, and they tear a little bit too much sheetrock off and they discover there's a second body between the next two studs and over the course of a few minutes they find this all over the house and then you kind of cut a little bit into the future and they've taken the walls off of most of the house and they have something like 40 plus bodies almost every room in the house and every hallway every wall 
that has major real estate, has bodies in between every single stud. They're everywhere. And it's some of the most morbid mm-hmm. things that you will ever see. And it's it's not shown like in close-up. You don't get graphic close-ups yeah. of faces, but just you're, you understand that like when you see a shot down the hallway and you see every bag, you understand that there's a body in every one and you're looking at 20-plus humans yeah. that have been killed. Um, and so at that point it's also a little bit of decompression because it's like well everybody's kind of come to grips with it you see a couple of people throwing up but at and... the same time they're still building a sense of dread yes no it's higher it's a higher level than you're still at more stress than you were right after the truck came in but it's come down just a little bit from the initial discovery mm-hmm. and then there's another discovery so while somebody is outside puking and trying to get air you see a couple of uh, uniforms in the back trying to get into this shed um and emily blunt's character is outside taking a breather and they're trying to force their way into this locked shed about 50 feet away from her in the backyard and they're being kind of violent with it they're they're really trying to force it open and eventually they do and just a few seconds before they force it open emily blunt's character um realizes this house is probably protected. There's probably booby traps. And she starts screaming at them, no, 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 don't don't open it. And they do, and it has been booby trapped. There's explosives in it, and it explodes, and it takes, like, it, it puts a crater in the, in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And so she and her partner are pretty banged up. And I, I believe it's understood that the officers that opened the shed are killed. Oh, yeah. Um... And after that, I think it kind of goes to the the next thing is her and her partner waiting to get debriefed by Josh Brolin's character in the conference like center. I don't remember too much like personal scenes in between yeah. those. Um, and in the space of those seven to ten minutes, you've gone up and down like three distinct times and it's you you end on the stressful note like there really isn't a decompression you just leave the scene after the last thing and you you don't you're not told exactly like how to feel about it and you the next time and so that you, you do feel anxious right feel and anxious. so the next time that you see them they're anxious they're fidgeting in the hallway like we don't know what we just saw and we're about to meet with people that know a lot more than we do about what's going on and we don't we don't know anything. We have no context for why any of this is here, and okay. why we're involved. And the movie is structured with that same pattern mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So you'll get an incident, and the incident will get worse, and then it will relieve the stress. And you're like, okay, it's cool. And then the incident turns sideways. And something comes out of left field that you did not see at all. In this case, it would be the body in the wall. Like, that is not precipitated by any knowledge that the audience or the people in the situation have. And then it goes up a bit, and then up a bit, and then characters get used to the situation. So while it's still stressful and it's not a true decompression, there's understanding and, like, learning that's involved. So you kind of get used to it. And then that situation is taken to the next level again and the characters are just put to the edge and that happens 
there's probably like three distinct moments. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And in between that, it's slow tension ramping the entire time. So the way I would describe this is, especially to our musical crowd, if anyone is familiar with music, uh, there's something called the shepherd's tone or shepherd tone. Uh, Hans Zimmer uses a lot in his music. It, Especially it, Dunkirk, I believe. Yep. Uh, it creates this illusion of uh, infinite rising tension. Uh, and so it's just basically three series of notes being played one after the other in a stair-step fashion. So one is da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then the next one, halfway through, goes da 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 da, and so you have this da 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 continuing to rise. It feels like, even though each tone ends, and then as that's ending, two have already started. And so, this film is structured in such a way that you have these moments of increasing tension, but before you've been completely decompressed from the first. The second one and the third one are these storylines and these ideas have already started. And you're starting to feel this like intense rising tension throughout the entire film. And it never decompresses fully. Mm -mm. Even at the end, you're not given anything. It is just an abrupt boom. Uh, And so it ends on this like intense note and you're left there. Uh, And I think part of the reason is the filmmaking... So in filmmaking, part of the director's job is to focus the audience's attention on what they think matters to the story at that moment. And a lot of times, some directors are not very good at this, and you'll get a lot of details thrown out at you that are emphasized that don't actually mean anything. Denis is not like that. When Denis shows you something, it's going to matter later, and what happens is you start, you start looking for things, and you start picking out details that don't seem relevant at the moment. But because of the way that you know he tells a story, you know that it's going to become relevant, and you don't know exactly how. And so you're sitting there, and it's in the back of your mind going, I know this piece of information, and because I know it, it's going to be important later. But I don't know how. And one of those instances is in one of the briefings, which might seem very boring to a lot of people. It's mentioned there's two places that will get attacked if it happens. We will get attacked in the middle of Juarez, as we are first laying hands on this dude that we're trying to kidnap, or we will get attacked on the way out of the country at the border. And it's a throwaway comment, and it sounds like it's just part of the briefing, but it's one of those things that you hear explicitly. There is no sound. There is no anything that can possibly cover it up. Mm-hmm. It's there so for the, you to the, hear. The audience is meant to hear this and understand this. And so the entire Juarez trip, after they cross the border in, into Mexico, you're sitting there going... It's going to happen at one of two places. And so you're sitting there on the, on the, like, as they're in the cars going, they're about to get out of the cars, and they're going to get shot up. Like, and there's all this imagery to suggest that. We go through several, like, uh, cartel executions mm-hmm. uh, or locations of executions with people hanging from the overpasses. We see, uh, like, just evidence of brutal violence throughout the whole city. And a, a few red herrings, too. So mm-hmm. the federal police have some cars that are tailing them that they don't that are not part of their official party, right. that they were not warned about. Um, they get stuck in an alley for a little bit. They it's get boxed scary. in. And you're like, 
every moment you're like, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? it and it's not, but you never lose the feeling of dread. It creates a sense of paranoia. It really like, does. It's an ongoing, as I remember the first time I watched it, thinking, uh, all I could think about was, I wish it would just hurry up and happen so I can stop feeling so anxious mm-hmm. about it. And it doesn't. It, it Nope. Not even when the movie ends, you kind of sit there going, well, I still feel kind of jittery. Yeah. I finished like, at like 10 o'clock at night and I was like, well, I'm, I'm not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and to be perfectly honest, I really love movies like that because it means that they've done it so well. Because if they can hold me like that, then they are masters of their craft. And I don't have the time to go in depth on my favorite four minutes of this movie. But this four minutes of yeah, this you movie... you on the opening. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's a perfect setting. And to be perfectly honest, if you've seen it, you'll understand. And there are some very good video essays on this sequence yep. um, that you I can, can recommend. Show I, I will make sure we have some links to those because they're very, very good. And it kind of breaks down the, the actual structure and moments of tension and release. And they're very well done, and the sequence as a whole is very well done. I'm talking about the border crossing, by the way, when the, when the attack that we're promised actually does happen. Um, and it, it lasts for four minutes, but it's the longest four minutes of this movie. And it's one of my favorite sequences of all time, in my mind. How it was shot and edited and staged, and just the little character moments that happen inside of this that give you very clear insight into how people are behaving, people that are used to this versus people that are not. You can clearly tell that Emily Blunt's character is a fish out of water, and everyone else knows their part, and they're doing what they need to do, and she's just like, what's happening? Mm-hmm. She is the audience. She is the audience, and it's it's a very good technique for us, um, and it's something that I think um, Taylor used very well because jumping ahead to right now the sequel doesn't have emily blunt's character um and was never intended to when the first sicario came out they asked him is there are there sequels planned and he's like well i've written out the story that would cover three movies like a complete story but emily blunt's character is done that was her story she's not part of it anymore because her character has no business there anymore and i think the style of the new movie is going to be different. It's a new director, and it's a new cinematographer, and it's a new both, editor. Both good. Both good and established. Um, so I'm not worried, but it is going to be stylistically a bit different, and I think that's okay, because I think the each chapter of this story is going to be different, and it's got to feel different, because this is no longer about an introduction into the world of unknowns. You're now in the world, and you understand the, the sides that are playing maybe not all of their motivations but you understand the key players and most of their main goals by the end of the first movie and i think it launches from suspense into war and i really think it's going to change and i'm very excited about how a story can evolve through different ways of telling it Mm -hmm. different styles and still be a cohesive whole right it, it could be a very tight trilogy in that you have a beginning middle and end uh, in the first movie, there are all these things that are happening, all these rules by that by which this world works. Uh, and the whole tagline of the second movie is, there are no rules. 
And I think that is a signal. One, it's a great marketing for people who just want to shoot them up. But I don't think that's what this movie is, although I do think the action will be much higher. Uh, I think this movie is now... You, you got used to what you thought the world, mm-hmm. the rules by which the, the last world worked. That That's not how this works anymore. It, well, and the, the, the one character that had a set of morals that would not waver was Emily Blunt. And she's, she's not here anymore. Because she had the morals. Right. Because she was like, I cannot be a part of this. And so she left. And the, the two main characters that you're left with, Benicio Del Toro's character and um, Jock Rowland's character, mm-hmm. have both established already that they're here for the long haul and they're going to do whatever it takes mm-hmm. to achieve their goals. And it's shown in a little bit of detail at the end what some lengths are that some of these characters will go to. And so you kind of know that even though there are rules and the audience plays by morals, that this conflict does not. And also, like, Emily Blunt's character, her her moral compass was justice. Like, she's not going to kill mm-hmm. someone without there being, like, an actual system of justice under which that person travels through and justice is obtained at the end. Uh, she wasn't short-circuiting the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the whole theme of that was of that first movie was there this this doesn't work the way that you want it to it doesn't work under mm-hmm. those rules and so now we have the second movie that person who wants justice to not be short circuited is gone so we're going to see I believe the ultimate end of short circuiting the system of justice. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited to see where the stakes of the new movie end and I'm very excited to see how well the movies play as a single story Mm -hmm. if that makes sense um a lot in the way that for instance lord of the rings works where it's very hard to look at one movie and go well this one is better or whatnot and objectively you can have favorites but you can't objectively look at them as separate stories because they're not they're pieces Mm -hmm. and i think that sicario is going to be very similar and i think that that's why the ending works so well because it's this is just the first act you get three acts in this movie and you get the the tension in all of them, and you have those moments, like every movie should. But also at the same time, the movie as a whole is only the first act. And so that's what interests me a lot, is that this this was only the introduction to these characters in these worlds. And having seen the work from Taylor Sheridan in other pieces, I'm very, very excited for the new one. So, Yes, I think uh, we've already gone over time, but... That, in short, is the recommendation from both of us. This this movie is incredible. Sicario is. Um, and does many things story-wise, uh, directing, editing, uh, audio, and cinematography. All of it was incredibly tight and pushed the story forward in such a way that um, the audience, it almost feels inescapable. So I, I think that the second one we're really looking forward to see where that takes us. Yep. All right, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Projected Opinions Podcast. See you next time. Because I did a 20-minute editing presentation on it, so, like, if you run out of things to say, I can... I could BS. <laughs> the, the, the re-entry into... Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's one of the most incredible... It's one of my favorite sequences of all time, like, right now. And every time I watch Sicario, it kind of moves up my list a little bit into the list of movies Check. that... Check.
Sorry, continue. Yeah, into the list of movies that I would consider forever favorites. So as we talk about things related to um, tension Mm -hmm. and suspense, I think that is the most... I haven't read the script. Have you seen it? I have not read the script for that. I would love to know what happened between written word... And, and like final and final cut to because it, is that the interpretation that Denis brings, like his understanding of how suspense and tension mm-hmm. works, or is it the writer's just that good at writing tension into a script? Having seen Hell or High Water and Wind River, I think Denis is very, very good at it, and I think he's better than the other two directors. Mm-hmm. But I think. A lot of it is inherent to Taylor Sheridan because those movies were like those three movies are some of the most stressful movies I've ever watched. Like, like it's not like a heart pounding, like thriller, like it's what's dread. You're, you're just going, it's going to get worse. It is. I know it is. And it's going to get worse in a way that I can't imagine. And that's what scares you is that you're going, I can't. I don't even know what's about to happen, but it's going to be worse than I think it will be. And it generally is. Um, And as far as like understated plot points, like, or plot twists, his writing is insane because like the things that happen, you don't call at all. Like you, you just can't see them coming. Are you recording this for like actually using or are you just... I don't know. That was really good. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I think we should just start now because I don't want to delete that. that just oh, case. boy. 